You can be seated. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. That's where I'll be preaching from this morning. I'm excited to, uh, to bring you a message uh, about the call of Moses. So it's right in order with where we've been the last, um, the last few weeks. As you remember me saying just a moment ago, we're walking through the Word of God from the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation. And it's definitely going to be a joy as we see the Lord work through His Word among His people. So I'm glad to be a part of that. I, I, I know that this will feel and seem very familiar to you if you've been in the Word this morning. I know that, pray that God would bless it. Last week, we, we ended our time with Joseph landing himself in prison. And so what a, what a great thing that Joseph got to enjoy, right? Uh, he denied sin. He denied himself. And as a result, he was given a place in prison, right? Uh, I won't go into the details there, but he was punished. But God was with him, as the, as the text faithfully reminds us, that God was with Joseph. It's the truth that we could take home. That was the main point of the text that God was saying to us last week, that you, if you are in Christ, that God is with you as well, no matter what you face, whether it's gentle and good times, whether they're full of joy or full of pain, whether they're full of sorrow or celebration, the Lord is with those who are his. You may know this. I'll make this long and beautiful story as short as possible. Joseph actually is released from prison. He's been there quite some time, but he's released, and in that same day, He's made vice regent of all of Egypt. So he, he literally goes from rags to riches. He goes from, right, back from zero back up to hero, right? This is Joseph's life. It's whiplash, his entire life. What a day. But here's the cool thing. Joseph is used by God to preserve both the Egyptians and surrounding nations. And uh, that included his, his own family. And so Jacob, or Israel, and his sons and their family, they move permanently, relocating to Egypt, where Joseph is able to save their lives by his leadership there. And so it's a beautiful thing. But then it, this is what happens. It's a sad thing. The, the Bible says that the Pharaoh that knew Joseph died. And the children of Israel were then, were then submitted to, to, to slavery, actually. And so this new Pharaoh that comes up, he actually feels threatened by the children of Israel. And so he oppresses them. Hundreds of years go by and and more Pharaohs come and the more Pharaohs follow the rule and and more bricks are made and more slaves are enslaved. And you've got to remember that this whole theme so far has been as we looked at the life of Abraham, looked at the life of Joseph and the life of Isaac and and the life of now Jacob as well, that all of these folks... God had made a specific promise to them. Chief among them was that he would give them a land. He would give them a land. And here they are in Egypt as slaves. They've been there for 400 years. And the question that you may be asking this morning, that I know they were asking themselves, is has God forgotten us? That's the tension this morning that you may even be experiencing. Has God forgotten me? Is it Is it possible that Yahweh, the one who I thought had promised me so much that I believed at one time was was there and was saying this or saying that, I haven't heard from him in a long time. And the promise that he said he would give to me, I haven't seen fulfilled yet. Maybe that's your question this morning. If that is your question, if you like the children of Israel asking, does God remember me? Has God forgotten his promises to me? If that's you, I've got good news. The Bible gives us an answer and it's a positive one. The answer is No, he has not forgotten you. This is the truth of God's word, and so let's look at it. God has not forgotten his people. So what I just shared with you, the saga of Joseph's life, if that was a movie, if that was made into a movie, it would be like 
Star Wars episode four, okay? So this, that's, that's episode four, the text today, the life of Joseph, episode four. The, episode five would then be the life of, uh, of um, my mind just went blank, uh, the, the life of Moses, right? And here's the thing. If, if, if episode four is the life of Joseph and episode five is the life of uh, Moses, then the, 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 the intro crawl that would be going on the front of the screen at the beginning of the movie would be Gen- uh, Exodus chapter two, verses 23 to 25. And so with that in mind, I want to just jump in here and think of this. So, so we've got this, what's happened long ago, that's episode four, that's the life of Joseph. And now you've got the, this intro crawl at the beginning of episode five, and here we're going to see a little bit of the background, setting of the stage for the life of Moses, for the call of Moses. And so we'll read together the last three verses of chapter two, and then we'll read all of chapter three together. We'll give uh, place to the word of God this morning. Would you read with me? The Bible says, During those days, the king of Egypt died And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The cry for rescue from slavery, it came up to God. And God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I hope that brings you comfort this morning. That God heard, that God remembered, that God saw, and that God knew. Let's read the rest and see what happens now. So beginning in verse 3, or sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush, by the, why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and, who have, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, or the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now... Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and that I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. You have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob 
has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of the children shall go, of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and of any woman who lives in her house for gold and gold jewelry, or silver and gold jewelry, and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So shall you plunder the Egyptians. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? God, you, though you are above us, you are with us. Though you are far, in some sense, you hear and you see. Not only do you see, not only do you hear and know, but you have also sent a deliverer here this morning as we look at the life, the call of Moses that you have called to your people Israel. We are reminded of the life of Jesus, you, him who you sent to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Father, we pray this morning as we look at this text that we would be encouraged, that we would learn of you, that we would learn about you, that we would learn of Moses, but even more importantly, that we would be pointed to Jesus Christ, who is our deliverer. Would we marinate in that this morning? Would we be encouraged by that as saints? Would we receive hope as as those who are lost, that there is a deliverer that God has sent? We, We pray that these things be done In the name of Jesus and for his glory, amen. Church, if we were to condense this story this morning into one sentence, it would be this, that God sees and knows our present condition and has sent us a deliverer. That God sees and he knows our present condition and he has sent us a deliverer. As we walk through the narrative this morning, as we walk through this story, I want to just point out three rooms or three scenes. And the first is this, that God sees and knows. I want to rest there for a moment and just kind of just look around in that scene. What's, what's going on there as we think about God seeing and knowing in this passage this morning? We'll move from there on to God appearing to Moses. We'll squeeze out understanding why did God even do that? What's the connection between, between God seeing and knowing and then God, God sending a deliverer? We'll end this morning by looking at God giving his name to Moses. So first, God sees and knows. As we look at the scriptures and we read about God, as we read about Yahweh, we will begin to understand more about his nature. So this is the reason that God gave us his word. This is the reason why he gave us the Bible so that we could know about him, so also that we could know him. The text this morning teaches us a few things about God, and their chief among that is that he is both above us and yet he is with us. And theologians over the centuries have called those two ideas both transcendence and imminence. 
That God is transcendent above us. He's altogether different. He's holy. He's not on our plane. He's on another plane. He's on another level. He's not made of the same thing that we're made out of. He's altogether different. At the same time, he is imminent. And so transcendent, that he is present in all of creation. He remains distinct from it. But he is, I'm sorry, he is he's independent, but present and, in, and distinct from it. So both of these attributes of God are very clear in this passage. And oftentimes we think of, of folks that if, if somebody is transcendent, if they're not with us, then they cannot be, uh, if they're not of us, then they cannot be with us. And that's maybe true of me. If I'm transcendent of you, if I'm on another level or another plane, another city, I cannot be with you. Yet that's not true of our God. A God that is separate from us can both at the same time be with us. God is holy and he is above us. Look at chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says there that as Moses is encountering God, he, God says, do not come near. Take off your sandals from your feet. He says, this place is holy ground. He goes on to say that Moses hides his face and that Moses was afraid to look at God. Moses definitely sensed this transcendence of God. but He obviously saw the imminence of God as well. And in an abstract sense, God is close enough to hear and to see what it is that we face this morning. Even the language here uh, in the intro crawl uh, at the end of chapter 2 points to that. Their cry for rescue from slavery, it came up to God. That God heard, that God remembered, God saw, God knew. This, that language is anthropomorphic, which is to say that it's, it's using human characteristics to describe a deity. It's using, and that's when you can use that to describe anything that's not human, really. It's, it's similar um, to a personification in a way, but it's saying that these things are true about God, but although they're not, they, they break down. Because it, it almost makes us think that God all of a sudden heard, but he hadn't heard. That God recognized something that he hadn't recognized before, and, and he had suddenly seen something that he hadn't seen before, and that's not true of God. The language here is, this, is, is anthropomorphic. It's saying, uh, these, this is the best way to understand God as a deity. That he would understand, that he would hear, that he would remember, that God would see and that God would know. And it's interesting that God appears to him in a burning bush. And by the way, if, if you're ever looking for a good um, uh, Halloween costume, this is a good one from you, for you. You could dress up like a burning bush. And I would just say this, if, if you ever went to a harvest party dressed as a burning bush, then you're probably a homeschooler. Uh, that's, that's just the truth. That, that's, that's for free. You're welcome to use that. Um, I, I actually know somebody that actually went to a harvest party dressed as a burning bush, so... It was, a, it was a hit. Um, anyway, so, but fire is a great picture of God. Why is it a good picture of God? Because it's both safe and it's dangerous. You notice that? F- fire is a beautiful thing. It's something that we feel safe around, but at the same time, we feel very dangerous. We feel a sense of danger there, especially if you're a parent. You recognize that. Like you, you, at the end of a day, you might want to start the gas logs, and you might, or you might want to roast marshmallows, which is the bane of my existence. I hate roasting marshmallows with four kids. I got these hot sticks flying around. Uh, when, with fire involved, it's both inviting and it's also dangerous. It's, it's, it's comforting and it's terrifying. It's welcoming and it's foreboding. And that's the presence of God, that he would be inviting, that he'd be welcoming, but at the same time, he's not to be trifled with. He's altogether different. He's transcendent. So he's transcendent and he's imminent. And at this point in time, though, God, he decides to act. He sees, he knows, he remembers, he hears, and he decides to act. And this is where human descriptions of God, they fall flat. He, he didn't now just hear, he had always known. He had always seen, but he had now, at this point in time, decided to act. And that's the sovereignty of God. It's the sovereignty of God that he would hear our prayers, every single prayer. The Bible says that the saints 
of God, every one of them go up. And that every tear are put into his bottle. Every cry that we cry out that God hears and that God knows. And yet, in his sovereignty, he doesn't choose always to act immediately. To believe that God cares about our oppression and our suffering and yet allows it to continue for a time or for a season can be difficult for us. But this belongs to the Lord and not to us. This belongs to him. This is his decision and not us. So the Israelites, they may have been suffering at this point and saying, even with this, they might, as Moses would come to them and say, the Lord has sent us now. He sent me. He's, 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 he's going to rescue us. He's, he sent me to deliver us. As, as that word comes to them, they might think, well, if he's heard us this whole time, why would he just now be acting? Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're thinking that I've been crying out for some time for a healing. I've been crying out for freedom and deliverance from this sin or from that sin. And you say, why has the Lord not given that to me yet? Why has the Lord not rescued me? Why has he not sent a deliverer yet? I would just ask you to consider this, to wait on the Lord and to be a good courage, to continue to pray. The Lord hears the prayers of the saints. So God did not only hear, but he also, he sends a deliverer. And the God who is above is also with. Look, look now as God appears to Moses. Look at, at chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It's kind of ironic here that Moses is the adopted son of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh and all the Egyptians can't stand shepherds. They can't stand the, the, the thought of shepherding. And here's the cool thing. Here Moses is on, by the way, Horeb is Mount Sinai. So here's Moses on Mount Sinai, and he has an encounter with God. He's far from his father-in-law uh, in Midian. He's all the way over in Mount Sinai, and he has this encounter with God, and he's there as a shepherd. And God says, hey, you, son of the Egyptian, you're going to go back to Pharaoh, and you're going to take his flock, the flock that he has been oppressing, and you're going to rescue them, and you're going to bring that group of sheep. You're going to bring that flock. You're going to shepherd them to this mountain. Here it says in verse 12, he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. What a beautiful picture. How, what, what irony there that God would call Moses the shepherd now to lead a new flock. God goes ahead and rolls out his whole plan there. He says, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, Moses. This is going to be great. Pharaoh's going to do this. The children of Israel are going to do that. It's going to be great. And Moses responds to this beautiful plan with what? Verse 11. Basically, he says, I can't. I can't do that. I can't do that. Moses goes on to say, I'm not the right man for the job. I'm neither Egyptian nor Hebrew. Moses' personal sense of identity was now stronger than it had been. He was considering himself to be a shepherd. He was considering himself to be an Israelite. That's how he had even left Egypt. He saw the oppression of the Israelites by the Egyptians, and he, he stands up and he kills a man. He kills an Egyptian in defense. He's not an Egyptian now. They, 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 they seek his life. They seek justice upon him. He's not a Hebrew. They've, they've rejected him. And now this man who doesn't know if he's an Egyptian or a Hebrew is out in the wilderness by himself on the mountain and God comes to him face to face. Moses says, I, I can't do this. I'm neither Egyptian, I'm not an Israelite. I can't show my face there in Egypt. The Israelites won't follow me. And all these thoughts, all these doubts are floating around in his head. Incidentally, he had tried to do something, hadn't he? He had tried to, in a sense, rescue the Israelites, and that had fallen flat. And so now, 40 years later, how could he be the guy 
In the prime of his life, he couldn't do it. And now, 40 years later, was he any better? Was he any more equipped? Moses begins to think of all of his shortcomings. And this is the best part of this whole thing. God does not deny Moses' shortcomings. Think about that. How many times have you, whenever somebody has been in a place of, of, uh, of concern, that lacked, they've lacked encouragement, they've lacked faith to know that God was going to bless them in the way that they were going, and you've said, no, it's okay, you can do this. It's, it's, it's totally all right, I can see you, you you've got this. You're going to be great, you're going to do great. And they say, but what about this or what about that? And you say, no, it's great, you just want to encourage them, right? You want to be pandering, you want to, you want to build them up. Well, God doesn't do that here. God's not like, no, you're not that bad. No, they don't hate you. No, they kind of like you. No, they threw that spear at you. Like that, that, was, that was just passive aggressive. That, guy, that guy's like that. He's, he's like that with everybody. No, that's not what God says to him. He doesn't say, well, no, you kind of are an Israelite. You're kind of not. It's okay. This is, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't even address his shortcomings. What does God say instead? God does not deny it, but he affirms it. He says, you're right, essentially. You can't do this. He says, but I can. He says, I will be with you. Nothing changed. Moses hadn't become more powerful in that statement. God didn't give him some magic pixie dust and now he was brave. God just says, your inability plus my ability equals success. Your ability plus my, uh, your inability plus my ability equals success. And that's really good. I want to just ask you this morning, what is it that God has called you to do that you're looking at your own life and saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm, un- I'm unable to do that. You see, you're focusing too much on yourself. You're looking at your own ability and saying, like, the tools are not in my toolbox. And yet God's not asking you to do anything based on your ability. He's saying because of his ability, because of his presence. Listen, you can't save yourself. Maybe this morning you, 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 you want to reform You want to lay down the addictions. You want to lay down the the pornography. You want to lay down the hatred. You want to lay down the dissension in your life. And you're saying, I I, I can do this. I'm going to do this. But then you say, but I can't do it. That's where God wants you to be. It's the best place that you can be this morning. In the place where you say, I can't do anything more. You can't save yourself this morning. And Moses here, he can't save the children of Israel. He can't do it. Maybe you look around in your life and you say, I'd love to be able to help this person or to save this person's life and to rescue this person from the pain that they're in. I'd love to to, to give this one person salvation. I'd love to see them repent. And you say, I'm going to do everything in my power to do it. You'll come to the same place as Moses and you'll say, I can't do it. Hopefully you'll continue down that path and you'll come to the realization that only through God can you do it. So my challenge to you this morning is to forget about yourself. You you may think that this is actually humility on, on on the side of of, uh, of Moses. You might think, this is great. This is something that I should imitate. And that's not true. You see, Moses, what was he doing in that moment? He was thinking of who? He was thinking of himself. So the man who's arrogant, who thinks that all things are possible by his own hand, he's arrogant. It's off-putting, right? And no less off-putting, no less arrogant is the one who always thinks of himself, always considers their own weaknesses, always considers where, what, what's been done to them and what they cannot do. It's the same thing. It's arrogance. The challenge that God is giving to you this morning as we look at the life of Moses is that you should forget yourself. Forget about yourself. Forget about all your weaknesses. Forget about your shortcomings. Forget about those who have wronged you and forget about those you whom you have wronged. It's not a, that's not what God calls us to do this morning. 
You look at the, the life of Paul in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He's speaking of a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. Some sort of physical ailment that Paul was dealing with here. Just three times I prayed that it should leave me. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He goes on to say, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says his weakness plus plus Christ's strength equaled power. And it's interesting to hear that Paul uses the word power because the, the, the Hebrew word for hand that translates hand here is actually what it, it actually means power. And so if you look at verse 19 and verse 20, it says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. What that means is by compelled by mighty power, by somebody very powerful. Verse 20, it says, so I will stretch out my hand. I will stretch out my power and I will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will do and after that he will let you go Moses says am I the right one for the job Moses what are you going to even do the Lord will strike us the Lord will raise his hand out his power will be against the Egyptians and his power will be for you so Moses's inability plus Yahweh's ability equals what power Moses' inability plus God's ability equaled power. Moses was just a conduit. That's that's true for you this morning as well. That's absolutely true for you. Your inability, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Notice that equation doesn't change. Your inability plus God's ability equals power. You could leave off your, your inability. God's ability equals what? Power. So to be very clear for you this morning, to encourage you, your future effectiveness is not based on your past failure or your present weaknesses. It's based on God's presence. Listen, I want to say that again. Your future effectiveness is not based on your past failure or your future weaknesses. It's based on God's presence. This is the truth for Moses and it's the truth for you this morning. If you want power, if you want to see the God's power in your life, forget about your weaknesses. Forget about your shortcomings and, and your sin. Now, I'm not saying we'll cover them up. The Lord does that work. We repent of our sins. We, we place them before him and we say, God, this is my life. This is yours. And we lay ourselves on the altar in an act of worship and the Lord rescues us. You're not defined by your education or the lack thereof. You're not defined by your success or your failures. You're not defined by the size of your house, the, the quality or size of your family. Or if it's still intact, the size of your 401k or the lack thereof. For the Christian, God is the one who defines us. God is the one who defines us. And listen, he is Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel. He's with us. His presence in our life, that's, that's where there's power. We sang this morning that all we have is Christ. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All we have is Christ. And what more do we need? What more do we need? So the one who thinks he's awesome this morning, it's arrogance. It's pride. So the one who thinks he's weak and, un- and unable to do anything, he's also pride, also self-serving. And so forget about yourself. 
want to point this out. You know, the, the, the purpose for Moses delivering the children of Israel was so that they could worship God. That's why he was doing that. God wanted them to leave Egypt, which, by the way, represents sin throughout the entire Bible. He wants them to leave Egypt, and he wants them to, he wants them to worship him in Canaan. That's what they even tell Pharaoh here. And what's really beautiful here, and this is, again, it's, I don't know if we can call it irony here, but what's beautiful here is that, that the, the Hebrew word for worship is slavery. The, the Hebrew word for a worshiper is just a slave. It's somebody who is at the beck and call of another. So it's so beautiful here that, that God would rescue them from slavery in Egypt, but rescue them to slavery to himself. And those are the options here this morning. Moses, as he's being rescued or he's going to rescue the children of Israel out of Egypt and take them into the wilderness, think about this. Moses thought, well, I, I can't do that. I'm, he's, he's focusing on himself. I, I can't do this. I'm, this is not something I can do. He's, 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 in a sense, self-serving. And that's not the option. So many times as Christians we think, oh, well, I'm not living in sin. I'm not living in Egypt anymore. But we still live a life that's self-serving. And God has not called you to serve yourself. Nor has he called you to serve Egypt. He's called you to serve himself, just to serve him. So that's, that's the challenge for you this morning as you consider the purpose of what God has called them to do. That you would worship God. That you wouldn't be focused on yourself. Your abilities, your inabilities, you'd focus on the Lord. And so let me ask you this morning, what is holding you back? What is holding you back from serving the Lord this morning? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you give all to him? Why wouldn't you push everything in to God and serve him? Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's your present. Remember that your effectiveness is not based on your past failure or your present weaknesses. So that challenge there, God's answer to, to Moses was in, in relation to Moses' identity. And that was one of Moses' concerns. But I can't do it. But then he has another concern that he raises. And he says... Okay, let me ask you this, God. If I go there and I tell them what you've told me, who should I tell them sent me? Who should I say sent me? And God goes on to to give him his name. So look in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, "If, If I come to a people of Israel, the people of Israel, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the, God, the Lord, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You've got to remember here that Moses, Moses and the Israelites are living in this pagan land, and it's possible that it had had a, a greater influence on them than we care to believe. They lived there for some time now, and... Th- Jews, Hebrews have been historically done a fantastic job at at staying distinct and yet at the same time nobody's perfect. So it's possible that their their belief systems had been tainted. That their doctrine and truths of God had been changed. Here they're living in Egypt which is polytheistic. Many gods. That's no problem for them. Polytheistic. Many gods. Pantheistic. That even that that there's a, a divine aspect a godlike aspect to every single portion of creation. The Egyptians believed that. They were syncretistic as well. They believed that basically all these things combined were true. And whatever the Hebrews believed, that's good, that's true. Whatever the Hittites believed, that's good, that's true. Whatever they believed, it's all good, all together, syncretistic. 
So this is where the, the, the Hebrews have been for some time, and so it's possible that, it, that Moses is asking that question because he's concerned. Who, maybe he doesn't know for himself. Which God am I talking to? God makes the statement, I am, as if to say, there's only one. There's only one God. It's a beautiful thing as God stands out and above all the Egyptian gods, the gods of the, of the Nile, the gods of the crocodiles, the God of the sun. He stood out and above of all of those. God responds, I am who I am. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they're like, they, 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 they're, they're talking and all of a sudden they just stop. Maybe, they got, maybe they're chasing a squirrel in their mind and you're like, well, you could finish the statement. I know if you've talked to me, you've probably experienced that. I've been in the middle of a conversation and I just stop. Maybe Moses is thinking that about God. I am, continue, right? That's how we, that's how we, we want to be identified in a certain specific way. Right? And we, we think, we, when somebody asks, who are you? We say, well, I am this or I am that. We always fill in that blank. But God, what is God? His, the idea that he's trying to, to get across here, Donald Spence Jones points out very well. He says that in this name, in this statement, he's saying several things. One, that he is eternal. He's saying to Moses, he's saying to the children of Israel, he's saying to us this morning that he is eternal. I am. There's no beginning and there is no end. He's also saying that he's uncaused. and In the world of cause and effect, he's the only thing that did not have a cause. He is the first cause. If you think about it, in this world that we live in, there is everything is caused by something else. Well, this happened because this happened. And this happened because of this. And that infinite turtle on the back goes all the way down to the bottom. What is it all resting on? Well, God, the first cause. He's the only thing that cannot be explained by an effect. This is God. This is the great I am. Not only is he uncaused, but he's independent. He needs nothing. There's nobody here this morning. There's nobody that you know that is truly independent, that can stand by themselves on their own two feet. And yet we have God here who says, I am. He's eternal. He's uncaused, and he's independent. Yahweh. He's not like the God of the Nile. He's not like the God of the sun. So this morning you might say, well, what's, I, I get those truths, but what is so special about the name I am? So I was thinking about that. I mean, obviously, he's eternal. He's uncaused. He's independent. But as I thought about that, I, I, th- I started to think of a child. You know, children are very perceptive. They can sense if there's an uneasiness or a lack of confidence in their parents. And uh, they can take their cues from their parents' facial expressions. And so we know as parents, if you're a parent, you might, you, you, sometimes you're careful not to, to reveal too much of the situation to your children. You don't want to make them concerned. If, if you're a little nervous, you don't want them to be nervous. But children are still so perceptive. So we're careful about that. You've seen this before. You've seen this relationship. Kids unconsciously think that mom and dad are here. They're present, and so there's nothing to worry about. And you've seen it before. Little Johnny, he's, in the, he's on, the, on the floor in the waiting room. He's playing with his truck. He goes off into la-la land. He's, he's, he's somewhere else altogether until his truck runs into the, to the shoe of, of Mr. Herman, right? And he looks up. And there's this older gentleman, and he's got hair just pouring out of his ears, and uh, he's got some of these big horn glasses, and, and, and maybe, uh, maybe some other things that he's concerned about. And he, he panics. You can see it in his eyes. And he begins to look around the room, and he sees his mom. And as soon as he sees his mom, he's, he recognizes mom's not, mom's not afraid. Mom's not scared. Mom's here. She's not scared. I can see it on her eyes. And because she's here, I don't have anything to worry about. And what does he do? backs up a little bit, creates a little bit of space between Mr. Herman, and what does he do? He goes back into la-la land. He goes back into his, into, into his own little world, right? He knows that if mom's not afraid, then he shouldn't be afraid. He knows that if mom is present, that everything is good. 
When a child has a nightmare, they shoot up out of bed, and with a scream of sheer terror, the dad races in, right? And what does he do when he gets there? What does he do when he, when he gets to the side? What does he say? I'm here. I'm here. It's okay. I'm here. What does that mean? What does that even mean? That, why would the dad say he's here? If you think about it, if the kid has something really worth being scared about, now it's more danger, right? Because not only was the kid now in danger, now the dad's in danger too. But for some reason, when dad says, I'm here, that calms the child oftentimes. His presence, identifying that, hey, dad's here. Dad's going to take care of me. And they're obviously afraid in that moment, but they feel a real sense of danger until dad arrives. And in that moment, it evaporates from their very presence. What is dad saying in that moment? He's saying, I'm here. He's saying, I exist. He's saying, I'm bigger than your situation. I'm bigger than what you're facing right here and right now. Think about that. If, you, if, if, a, if a child knows that their father is in the room, they would understand that he's here. He wants what's good for me. And, just be, and if he's here in my presence, then everything is going to be okay. The child has full confidence in the character of the father. And the father, God the father, says to Moses, listen, you, you tell my people, my people, that I'm here. You tell them that I exist. And they may have had times of doubt. They may have felt alone in the dark. And they may have experienced a nightmare that was real. But I'm here now. And in that moment, the children of Israel, and even Moses, can feel fear evaporate. And a faith that in God creep in. What a beautiful thing as God gives his name. He says, I am. And that same God that said that to the children of Israel is here this morning saying it to you. I am. I exist. I see. I know. I remember. And I sent a deliverer. I want you to catch this. What does the I am say that, say, uh, Throughout this whole passage, verse 17, he says, I will bring up or bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land. Verse 18, I, or, or I'm sorry, they will listen to your voice and the elders shall go to the king. He seems a very confident being this I am. Verse 19, I know the king of Israel will not let you go. Verse 20, I, so I will stretch out my hand and he will let you go. Verse 21, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. You shall, what? Plunder them. God is very confident. This language here is reminiscent of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Or or vice versa. He shall bruise your head and and you shall bruise his heel. This is the prophecy given to the snake, the serpent, of Jesus, the deliverer. What a beautiful thing here that this promise that God made to the children of Israel in those days, it came true. Moses did lead them out of that land. He did lead them to the promised land. He did rescue them from oppression through the mighty power of God. And the same is true of us, that God, who promised that he'll put enmity between the, between the snake and the woman, that promised that he'll bruise the head of the snake and the heel of the deliverer, that also came true. That also came true. God has sent the head crusher. He crushed the head of the snake. Last week we looked at Joseph and said that he was good, but Jesus was better than him. While Joseph did great things, Joseph, or Jesus is better than him. And it's the same thing this morning when we look at the life of, of Moses. Now, Moses was good. Moses did a fantastic job. Moses truly delivered by the, uh, the, under the hand of the Lord. He delivered the children of Israel. Here's, my, here's the encouraging thing. Jesus is 
better. Jesus is better. If you look in John chapter 8 and throughout the entire book of John in the New Testament, Jesus is almost seemingly constantly saying statements like this, I am this or I am that. And in John chapter 8, it's, it's, the, it's the, the chief, it's, the, it's the, 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 the most direct statement that Jesus says, I am. Many people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's not true. Jesus did claim to be God. And, and, and specifically in chapter 8, we see such a clear picture of that. Jesus actually makes the statement, before Abraham was, I am. In John chapter 8, in verse number 58. When he says that, the, the, the Jews there in that moment, they pick up stones and they try to stone Jesus. Why would they do that? Because he doesn't know good grammar? Because he, he gets confused on his tenses of his being verbs? No, that's not why. They, they are an ang- they're, they're angered against Jesus because he says, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying in that very moment that he is God. That he is God. He is the deliverer. He is the better Moses. As I told you earlier, Egypt is often pictured uh, as sin in our lives. So this morning, if you are enslaved to sin, if you're not one of the Lord's chosen, in the sense that you're walking in holiness, my challenge to you this morning is this. Would you be like Israel? Would you cry out to God in faith, believing that he is there and that he will listen? Cry out to the God as you're enslaved to sin, Even if it feels like it's been hundreds of years, it doesn't matter. Call out to Jesus. He is the great I am, and he will deliver you. As we sang this morning, we we sang the testimonies. It's such a beautiful thing as we sing together as saints. Because when we sing, we hear the brother and sister next to us testifying to this too. What a beautiful thing as we look at Psalm 34 this morning. We read verses 6 through 8. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. This morning as we sang, the the person next to you sang that. They said that same thing. They said, I cried out to God and he rescued me and now all I have is Christ and that's all I need. What a beautiful thing. And that's just a a caveat there. When you sing in the gathering of the saints, would you sing to God but knowing that you're ministering to your brother and sister next to you. So sing loud. Not beautiful. It doesn't have to be. Sing loud and encourage one another. This man here in Psalm 34, this poor man cried and the Lord heard me. It's his testimony. He says, the angel of the Lord encamped around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 8, he says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The invitation is there for you this morning. Would you take refuge in God? He is good. God, he sees, he knows our present condition, and he has sent us a deliverer. Better than Moses, Jesus himself. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for these truths that we've looked at this morning. That you are both transcendent and you are imminent. You're so high above us and yet you are here with us. Even this morning, we thank you for these truths. God, we lift you up, we make much of you. Why would you even condescend to us? We don't know. We leave that to your sovereignty as well. We thank you in this moment. God, we confess our sins for you. We confess that we are children prone to wander. Pray that you draw us to yourself through word, sang and prayed and preached. God, we thank you for just this, this truth of Jesus. We've looked in the, in the life of Moses that you have come to Moses and you sent him as a deliverer. You sent an even better deliverer to us this morning. 
So as we celebrate this morning, Jesus, our deliverer, and as you send us this morning with Jesus, the deliverer, would we be blessed. We thank you. We trust that these things will be done in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen.